Again, just a reminder, uh, basically systematic theology is a big term, but it means that we take Bible themes, you can't go to the, you can't go to the New Testament, the Old Testament, and find out in one chapter everything about the Holy Spirit. And so what systematic theology does is, is systemizes or p- puts in a system, compartmentalizes those things. Uh, and so... Uh, Ty has been talking about uh, God and the knowledge of God. Uh, again, we can't go to a chapter and a verse, but we have to put a lot of chapters and verses together. Uh, and so um, I think next we'll probably look at the attributes of God. Again, how do you find out about the attributes of God? Well, you can go to a lot of different verses, but when we study them as a system, we can put all those verses and chapters together, and it gives us a better view of, of Christ and, and, uh, and the attributes of God. This morning we're going to look at the subject of bibliology. It's sometimes called canonicity, um, big words. Uh, you can see the word Bible. The word ology just simply means what? Study of. So it could be anything, biology, right? Um, zoology. Uh, and so the, all of this is, so this is the study of the Bible, what do we know about the Bible? And so we're going to look at a lot of different things about the Bible. Some of them are probably familiar to you. Some may be uh, of a surprise. Um, the Bible is the inspired source of knowledge about God, Jesus, salvation, eternity. Uh, and without a proper view of the Bible, our views on these issues become clouded and distorted. And so it's important for us to have a good view of the scriptures. And uh, I'll tell you, when you read articles about um, counseling and, and people's advice, uh, even on social issues, if you don't have a good understanding and clear understanding of what the Bible says on these issues, you're going to be confused yourself, and you're going to be giving bad counsel or receiving bad counsel. Um, bibliology tells us what the Bible is, uh, and so it's a book uh, it's uh, this quote here, a book regarded as authoritative in a particular sphere. That's what Bible means. And so, for instance, uh, the English word Bible is derived from the Greek uh, K-O-I-N-I, which means book. It just simply means book. And so when we talk about our Bibles, we meant it's a book. It's a collection of things. Um, there's many kinds of Bibles. I remember over at Ollie's one night, I was over there looking, and they have a book called the gun bible and so you might see a recipe book called the gourmet bible so there's all different kinds of bibles and um these are um so we use the term to talk about a collection of books uh that we use in and uh in in on our in our study here um there's some other terms for the bible that we use the holy scripture sometimes we call it god's word uh, in systematic theology, we use the word Bible or Holy Scriptures to describe the discipline uh, and studies. Uh, and so and to help us understand this, I've got a quote here from the uh, Bible Chapel uh, Constitution. And here's what we have written as a, uh, as a body, and this particular coming from the elders, what we understand the, the Scripture to mean. And so we use the word the Holy Scriptures. We believe the Holy Scriptures consist of 66 books, both the Old and New Testament, as the very word of God. And we'll look at some of these terms later on. But verbally inspired, 
by God in all parts and therefore wholly without error in their original given by God and they're originally given by God and altogether sufficient. We'll talk about that in themselves as are holy, infallible, true of faith and practice altogether sufficient in themselves for our only infallible rule of faith and practice. And then who has Psalm 119? Just read that a minute. 119.89. So the scriptures declare that they are the word of God. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. Did you have that tie? Would you read? And then who has Second Peter one? Uh, is that Samuel? And we'll talk about some of this, what it means later on. We'll expand on it. But we're reading from the Bible Chapel Constitution. There's many others. And then it goes on to say, we believe that God spoke in his written word by a process of dual authorship. And this is important to understand this. The Holy Spirit so superintended the human authors that their own personalities and styles of writing, they composed and recorded God's word to man without error. This being true, the Holy Scriptures is sufficiently authenticating. It's binding authoritatively. It does not depend on the testimony of human beings or of any church. The scriptures stand on their own. They don't need the validation of a church or an organization. They stand on their own. And then it goes on to say, uh, its author, who is, is truth itself, all people are called or must acknowledge his authority because it is the word of God. Um, and then, who has First Thessalonians? And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what really is the word of God, which is at work in you. Yeah. We're dealing with the very word of God himself. We're not dealing with something that man made up. And God, dual authorship, God worked through men and and, and led them, and we'll talk about that later on in inspiration, but it is the word of God. And so there is a value uh, in, in that very phrase itself. It says, we believe a special revelation of God appears in its entirety in the scripture, which contains all things necessary for God's glory, the salvation of sinners, and the inst- instructions necessary for life and godliness. All matters are either expressly declared in Scripture or by good and necessary consequences may be deduced from the Scripture. Uh, For instance, the the Scripture says, thou shalt not murder, right? That's clear, thou shalt not murder. But we can get principles from the Scripture. When Take the the, uh, instance of the ten lepers, and only one of them comes back to thank Jesus. Well, what's the principle there? We should be thankful, right? And there are ungrateful people, so we can learn gratitude. It may not be clearly taught in that passage, but we can learn from that passage. And so that's the value of scriptures. And that's, of course, true uh, specifically in the Proverbs, right, that we can uh, learn those things. And then it says, 
to which at any time it may be added to or removed, whether so called by new revelation, which is important because you'll hear people say, I've got new revelation, tradition of men, and then um, that goes back to what Galatians 1, where Paul says there can't be no other gospel. There's only one gospel, and that if you preach another gospel where an angel from God brings a gospel, let them be accursed. And so... um, We go on to say these things being true, we believe that the Bible is to be literally read and is to be interpreted in such a way using grammatical, historical, and contextual principles of interpretation under the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. So we say literally read. We understand that Genesis 1 is a literal 24-hour day, that there was a creation by God. It was literal. We also understand that there are... uh, Things when Jesus says in John 6 that you should eat my blood and my flesh, that there are things that are not to be taken literally. There are things that common sense would tell us that uh, this is how the scriptures would be interpreted. So anyway, that's the Constitution. That's what we as Bible Chapel, if you're a member here, that's what you understand. And that's what we teach here under those contexts. So any, any questions or thoughts there? It allows for various styles. We understand Luke was a different kind of writer than Peter. And so there are styles in here, and we'll talk about that later. So the Bible uh, is a collection of a sacred text which are not authored by a single individual. And I've got some, Tim brought some of this up a couple months ago. I'll just read this to you. Forty different people across three continents over a span of 2,000 years. It's a big collection, right? A lot of different people over uh, a period of time. These authors came from diverse backgrounds, wrote various books that make up the Bible. Uh, Some key points, uh, Moses uh, was a Hebrew born in Egypt, played a significant role in the Bible. We understand he wrote the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuchs. And then um, other contributors besides Moses, there were many other authors, including prophets, apostles, and disciples. Uh, that wrote. Uh, Some books remain anonymous. What are some books that remain anonymous that we really aren't sure? Hebrews, what other book? Yeah, I hope you, thank you, Tim. Kevin went over that last week, so, right, Samuel uh, was one of those, Um, and so uh, there is, uh, says, while tradition identifies around 35 authors by name, the actual number contributors may be slightly higher. So, it's it's this huge uh, conglomeration of of time and space and energy and continents and people coming together, all putting together the word of God. Uh, this is this is the the value of that. Uh, this Bible is a collaborative work reflecting the spiritual insights, historical accounts, and divine inspiration of multiple individuals over the centuries. God moved Moses, he also moved the Apostle Paul, he moved Luke in different ways, in different times, in different spaces. And so the Bible is composed of several different literary forms. We get uh, narrative, history, poetry, wisdom, literature, uh, poetic literature, uh, gospel, oratory, the epistles and the psalms. Um, I've got a uh, paper here. It talks about, if I can find it real quick, uh, 
the Old Testament here, um, it says, uh, sometimes you'll hear the Old Testament broken down. We'll talk about the New Testament later. The books of the law, which would be what? The, the first five books, the Pentateuch, right? And then the books of history are considered from uh, Joshua through Esther, basically narrative or history. And so you'll hear sometimes people talk about the books of the law. The books of poetry are Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then uh, the books of prophecy, which would be the minor and the, uh, the major and minor prophets. And so um, that, that, that's sometimes how you'll hear uh, the scriptures uh, broken down. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, you'll hear uh, about the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the, uh, the Acts, and then Paul's letters, and then there's the general epistles like James and Peter uh, and those. So you'll hear the scriptures broken down sometimes in those, uh, those forms. And then, of course, Revelation would be considered prophecy uh, in uh, so there's a lot of different literary forms. It's not just one form uh, that makes up the Bible. Um, the Old Testament, uh, what's the word testament mean? We're going to hear that this morning when we talk about the Lord's Supper. What does the word testament mean? What other word do we use besides testament? This is the what is it? Covenant. We use the word covenant, right? This is a new covenant. We talk about... Uh, so the word testament just simply means covenant. It's a term which God uh, was pleased to designate. Uh, it exists between himself and his people. We have the Old Covenant or the Old Testament and the New Covenant. And so uh, the term covenant was first applied um, to uh, God and afterwards to the books which contained the record of that revelation. So God made a covenant. Uh, with Abraham in, in Genesis 12, but the word covenant is used to speak of the whole Old Testament or the whole Old New Testament. So there's a covenant, specific covenant with Noah, with Moses, and there was also, or excuse me, Abraham, there was also the covenant, which we call the Old, which would include the whole books. Um, by the end of the second century, we find that the Old Covenant and New Covenant is the established names of the Christian uh, is the Christian scripture. So it didn't come out. We didn't call the Bible or the Old Testament the Old Testament until later on, until it was all put together, or the Old Covenant. Uh, a man named Origen, in the beginning of the third century, mentioned the divine scriptures and the so-called Old and New Covenants. So he's probably the first one that came out with this term, um, and uh, and so of course we stick with it today. Um, the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament primarily deal with? The history of who? What people? The Jews, right? The Old Testament primarily speaks of the Jews and, and the history of the Jews, and uh, starting not obviously from Genesis, but uh, from, from the middle of uh, Genesis on, and then it moves uh, past there. And then uh, it's called the Old Covenant, and the New Testament deals with history and application and the redemption work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what is that called? We have the Old Covenant. What's the, the New Covenant? And so we have now the New Covenant, the dealing of Jesus Christ, not with just the Jews, but, and not with the law, but with the sacrifice of Christ himself. He is the New Covenant. 
so it's important to note that when we say Old Covenant, New Testament, uh, in the, in the Old Testament is about God's dealing with the nation of Israel, it is also important to make a note here that we don't want to miss Christ in the Old Testament. We're not saying that it's exclusively Genesis 3. I think Ty talked about this last week, the, the proto-gospel, the, the first gospel. I, you shall bruise his heel and he shall uh, uh, bruise your head. And so we see that uh, that uh, the promise of Christ coming. We saw also through uh, David, the king, uh, that is a picture of Christ to come. And so um, the Old Testament was written in, most entirely in Hebrew. Um, some portions, and this is interesting, some portions of Ezra, Daniel, Nehemiah, or Jeremiah were written in Aramaic. Um, and, um, and so... Um, but primarily, it was the old. It was the Hebrew. Uh, Hebrew. The uh, so any any thoughts or questions? Uh, it's interesting how it all comes together, isn't it? Um, the Old Testament. Uh, I, there's a man named Zondervan. He says for thousands of years the Old Testament was largely remained true in its original form. We don't know exactly how the original Hebrew books were selected, and we'll talk about that maybe in the future here. Um, we have every reason to believe that decisions were guided by the Holy Spirit. Of course, we have to believe that, right? By the way, whether, whatever you believe about the origins of God and how you, how you defend those, as Ty was teaching us, at some point, it comes down to faith, right? We can talk about, do you believe the scriptures are true or not? And so we'll, we'll talk about some evidences later, but at some point, it comes down to faith. Either we do believe it or we don't or we hold them as completely true or partially true, but it comes down to faith. And um, we can present all the evidence and, and talk about all these authors and how the Holy Spirit worked in their lives, but it comes down to do you believe the scriptures are true? Um, it says, together these works represent a body of oral history that the ancient Hebrews relied on and lived out uh, their daily lives. Another author wrote, the latest possible date of the completion of the Old Testament. What do you think the latest possible date of the Old Testament was? What do you think it was possibly the first, when it was completely put together? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, the, the, so when it was finally put together, um, many people believe it wasn't until 90 AD before it was completed together. Uh, uh, I have a, I have a, uh, a little article from uh, from League and Air Ministries, and um, it's interesting here. He says that um, the when Christ was alive, there was three uh, Old Testaments, three types of Old Testaments. Um, and so one of them was the Samaritan uh, Old Testament, which the Samaritan Jews, and that only considered uh, the first five books of the law. And then, um, so he says, we know that the Samaritan canon is not correct. At the other extreme was the Alexandria canon, which is based on the Septuagint. So there was, a, there was an Old Testament during Jesus' time that was based on the writings of the Septuagint, which is the uh, Greek... Uh, they take the Greek 
uh, and translated the, the Old Testament Hebrew into the Greek. And he says that's probably, and that c- contained the Apocrypha, which is, we'll talk about later. And then there was a Hebrew Old Testament. And this is interesting. At the time of Christ, Ligonier is saying it only contained 24 books. So you might think, oh, that's a problem. And they said, well, that's not really a problem because why is that? What did we learn last week from Kevin? Yeah, Samuel is one book. And so First Kings, uh, other books. And so therefore, so they believe that at the time of Christ and when, he, when Christ quoted out of the Old Testament, he was probably using uh, this um, Palestine canon is what they called it. And, uh, but anyway... Uh, it wasn't complete. Um, I, I always thought it was complete, like Ty did, maybe at 300, uh, but it was probably not acknowledged. Um, the, um, besides the reference that Jesus makes about the Old Testament, for instance, in Hosea 6, uh, 1, Christ goes back and talks about the Old Testament. And uh, also, um, we should also note that Peter, Stephen, and Philip, and Paul all preached or quoted from the Old Testament. So they, they went back and saw that is true. Um, here, here's interesting. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, was written around 430 B.C. And, um, but many believe that the last book written in the Old Testament was the book. Anybody got a guess? What was the last book written? It was Nehemiah. It was Nehemiah, and they believe it was written around 420. So I always kind of thought that Malachi was the last book written because of the, because of the way it was written. But uh, most, a lot of scholars now dated uh, to 420 B.C. So we have this collection that God, um, that God put together uh, over a period of time. So any thoughts and questions about the Old Testament? Rick? Sure. Yeah. And that's why I said there's a, we can learn the principles of it, right? We don't have to necessarily have a verse, but we can look back and see the principles. We can look at Joseph, for instance, and see a man of integrity. Now, the Bible doesn't call him out as being a man of integrity, but we can see the principles that lived out in his life. And, and uh, so, yeah, you're right, Rick. It's, it's not just a history book, but it's a book that should teach us and, and encourage us. Uh, Tim? Is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
what about the New Testament? Twenty-seven books made up uh, the earliest known completed list of the twenty-seven books is found written by a man named Athanasius in the fourth century. Uh, he was a bishop of Alexandria, dated around three sixty-seven. That's the first time that we know pretty sure that all 27 books were put together, not till 300 and, uh, what I say, 97. So you might think, oh, as soon as Christ died, all these books were put together, or the first century, but um, it was uh, in uh, Pope Innocent the first ratified the same canon in about 405, uh, but it was also probable that the Council of Rome in 382 under the Pope Damascus one gave the first list. So put who the 27 uh, books were put together. If we won't take time, if you want to read some interesting stuff, read some church history from the first century to the, about the till about 400 AD when there was a struggle, what books should go in and what books shouldn't, and what books were considered uh, the canon, what books were considered true, and what books uh, weren't. And so it was actually uh, 360, 400 A.D. Uh, before they put together um, the New Testament canon. By the word, can, the word canon just simply means rod or measuring stick. And so we talk about the canon as the measure. Uh, the New Testament canon development can be traced through important early church fathers and godly men and church council, councils uh, ultimately recognized the book should be received. Um, one author wrote three principal criteria emerged that the early church used in recognizing books that had been God's inspired and thus became uh, canonical or canons. One was the apostolic origin um, and then the recognition, recognition of the church and then the apostolic content. So they used those kind of overview um, to, to determine what book should be in the, the New Testament. Uh, many theologians believe the last book of the New Testament was actually the last book written, and that was uh, Revelation around 95 A.D. Um, and so um, when we hold the book in our hand and we say this is the authoritative word of God, it, it came as a process. It came through centuries and we still believe that holy men of God spoke as they were moved, right? And the Holy Spirit put it together, but yet it took time. It wasn't just that the first century, all of a sudden there was this council when God showed up and says, these are going to be the 27 books. It didn't happen that way. It happened over a process. Um, the, uh, the oldest New Testament manuscripts is called the Codex Site. Uh, Sciaticus, I think that's how you pronounce it. It's believed to be about the fourth century. Uh, it, the New Testament was written what? What kind of language? Hebrew and Aramaic and the old. The Greek. The New Testament was written in uh, Koine and Greek. Was a common language of uh, the Eastern Mediterranean. It became popular after Alexander basically took over and said everybody's going to use Greek uh, in around 300. I read this week that there's over 8,500 copies of the Greek New Testament manuscripts, not full in part, but in part together. So um, we don't have any original copies, obviously, but we have, um, we do have, uh, we don't have Paul's letter, 
to the Ephesians, obviously. We don't have that. But we have copies uh, that have come over centuries uh, that, um, that have been put together. So um, I hope you appreciate when we talk about our Bible that it just, it just didn't happen. It just didn't um, all of a sudden God dropped like the Ten Commandments, take Moses up and put him on stone. It didn't happen that way. It happened over a process. All along, God's using men and the Holy Spirit, and he's superintending them together to put together this list. Um, why do we believe the Bible? Why, why should you believe the Bible? Well, I'll throw some things out here. Um, any, any comments or questions, by the way, about the Old and New Testament? Ty? Yeah, you do. Having said that, it's nice to have the rest of them together <laughs> to forgive us all things that uh, pertain to life and godliness. But you're right. The gospel itself is in Matthew. If you throw everything else out, you at least have the gospel. No. I, I, I don't know. I can't think right offhand, but I'm sure historically there's, peop- there's literature that we have that we don't know who wrote the, exactly wrote it, but we still value it as literature. And, and uh, uh, you know, um, for some reason, Hebrews was included, right? They, when this, all over the years, you can read stories about, I, I read stuff last week till I was, uh, well, I was almost silly of reading it, but there's, uh, you know, Irenaeus and this battle that he had and how do we get, how do you keep out the Apocrypha and how is it, how did the church, uh, come up with the 27. It goes on and on for centuries and centuries. Um, it's believed that possibly as early as 200 A.D. Um, there, that, that 27 books of the New Testament were decided on, but it wasn't until about 400 when they were officially confirmed. So, um, Tom? Well, that's why we were very careful in our doctrinal statement to say no new or special revelation. You know, there's always some uh, preacher on TV that's got some new revelation that God told him when he looked in the mirror that morning. And uh, the, the canon, the Bible's closed. Um, Lewis Berry Schaefer in his book, Major Bible Themes, says there's two lines of evidence. One's internal. There's hundreds of passages. Why do we believe the Bible? Internal evidence. The Bible both directly declares and assumes itself to be the word of God. Um, uh, there's a hundred passages here. Um, and, and, but the Bible itself declares itself to be the word of God. The Old Testament is the word of Jehovah. Uh, and so, um, so there's this internal evidence. When you read the scriptures, it says 
this is the word of God. The scriptures declare themselves to be the very word of God. And then there's external evidence. Um, it's continuity. The Bible appears to be one volume in which there's a perfect continuity of historical consequences from the creation to the new heavens and the new earth. There's this continuity from Genesis to Revelation. There's different authors, different stories, different times, different continents, different periods. But there's this theme starting in Genesis from the fall to the new heavens and the new earth in, in Revelation, the, the consummation of everything. Um, the, um, yet in one volume which exists, exhibits the most perfect continuity of thought that the world, the world has ever seen. Nevertheless, a collection of 66 books written by about 40 authors. Some were kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, physicians, uh, statesmen, scholars, poets, and even farmers. And so um, all these different kinds of people at different times were moved by the Holy Spirit to put this collection together. Um, and then there's the extent of its revelation. It's unfolding the truth. The Bible's inexhaustible like a telescope, he says. It sweeps the universe from the heights of heaven to the depths of hell and traces the works of God from the beginning to the end. This is the very story of creation that God spoke out of nothing, ex nihilo, that there was a, something was spoke to the coming of Christ in Revelation. It's this, it's this glorious uh, extent of Revelation that goes uh, thousands of years. Um, it says, like a microscope, it reveals the minutest detail of the plan and purposes of God and the perfection of its creation. And it's like a stethoscope. It places all beings and objects, whether on earth or in heaven, in the right relationship with each other. Not only does it tell us about the scripture, but it also tells us how to live with each other, how to, to, to communicate with each other. Uh, and uh, though written in the early days of human knowledge, when the present world discoveries could not reasonably have been discovered, it's harmony with every discovery has ever made. So the Bible is not a science book, but it is correct when we come to science. It speaks of science. It speaks with authority. And so um, it's though so written in the earlier days of human knowledge when the present world discoveries could not reasonably have been disclosed, it is in harmony with every discovery made by man. And so as, as we learn things, about the universe, it's consistent with the word of God. It doesn't, it's not contrary. Um, I just got a couple things here. Uh, one author wrote seven reasons to trust and believe the Bible. I'll kind of read through these. Um, one is Jesus trusted God's word and personally testified of its authority. That's a pretty good reason, right? When the son of God himself says, the scriptures speak of me. Um, he says in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captive and the release from darkness, the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord. As Jesus speaking, he's, he's declaring that the old Testament not only is true, but it speaks of him. Um, he says uh, in Luke uh, 4, he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
as, as he testifies and reads from Isaiah, he says, oh, by the way, this is speaking of me. This is the, the fulfillment. Um, Jesus taught God's word as the law when he lived it. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come, what, not to abolish them, but what, to fulfill them, right, fulfill them. Christ didn't come to wipe out the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. He came to fulfill the Old Covenant. He was the perfect sacrifice, according to Hebrews. He was sacrificed once. The Old Testament, Old Covenant, was that sacrifices had to be over and over again. And if you wanted the uh, perfect salvation, could only come with the obedience of the law. Who did that? Christ. He fulfilled the law. Uh, Jesus resisted temptation. We know this in Matthew 4 by quoting scripture. And on the resurrection day, he led two disciples through the Bible explaining what all scripture concerning himself. He took the two men on the road to Emmaus and he says, all these scriptures are concerning me. All of them speak of me. And so um, there's the, uh, there's the, uh, the evidence that Christ says, uh, the Bible's full of historical and geographical references, um, specifically about places, times, people, ancient, near cities, cultures, Old and New Testament. Uh, just take Luke's account of the life of Jesus and every detail necessary to provide the full content of Jesus' birth. He goes back through history and gives these detailed detailed uh, explanations. And as those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that was taken since Cornelius was governor of Syria. And so look at, he's, he's listing out these men specifically. Everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth, the Galilee. And so it's specific uh, to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house of, in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be his married uh, to him, and she was expecting a child. So the Bible was very detailed in, 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 in its time and place and events, and it's correct in all those. Um, Luke um, was... Uh, was not afraid when he wrote those things of being time and fact checked. He was clear that this was truth and that he was writing truth. Uh, and then I'll just close with this uh, historical and archaeology. We can we can talk about that for uh, a lot of times. Uh, archaeologists have discovered the destruction of Jericho, um, and that was in the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology by Walter Ewell. And so for years, people said there was nothing happened at Jericho, and now there's been discoveries. Uh, Aramaic inscriptions that recognize the house of David uh, that have been discovered from archaeology and uh, speak of, uh, of David as the true line. Uh, the siege ramp and the mass graves that were unearthed uh, that matched the Assyrian invasion during Hezekiah's reign, uh, that's been uh, unearthed. And so archaeology evidence continues to be found, and uh, there's ancient historical documents recorded details of, of the scripture. They consistently match with the scripture. Um, and then uh, 
it's interesting. There's a, uh, well, I'll just stop there. So any comments or questions? We'll kind of look maybe more next week at inspiration. Uh, any thoughts? I hope you appreciate the Bible. I hope you appreciate that it didn't just happen, you know. It did in God's mind, I guess, but it happened through men and women putting this together. Becky? Sure. Yes. Okay. I'll have to, I, I know a little bit about it, probably enough to make me dangerous. So, okay. So, yeah, I, I will. All right. Any, uh, anything else? If you have any questions, uh, talk to me afterwards. So thank you.